0: Hello and welcome to Made in Canada, an agricultural podcast. This is episode 9, Canadian Law. My name is Rodrigo Massa. Pedro Chamale asked me to host this episode because, like my fellow guest hosts, Mateus and Isa, I was one of the original performers of Made in Canada, an agricultural operetta, which didn't happen because of COVID. But I must say I am very happy to be here this week, still involved in the project, Pedro and I had a little conversation last week about the show and the music, and I would like to share that with you now.
1: Hi, Rodrigo. Thank you so much for hosting this week's podcast. For those listening, why don't you introduce yourself?
2: My name is Rodrigo Massa. I am from Brazil, but I lived in um, Mexico for 13 years and that's where my career started, uh, started working on television, doing soap operas, telenovelas, lots of drama over there. I had my first contact with theater through musical theater, fell in love with it. Um, and yeah, I just moved to Canada two years ago.
1: Nice. And was Vancouver the place you arrived first?
2: Yes, it was. It was, I had, it was so funny because I had never come to Canada and it was just <laughs> like, oh, I want to I want to live somewhere else. And I just, um, yeah, decided to come here because I I feel like most people it's like, okay, you visit the place first and then you decide to live there. But no, with me, it was just like, I went straight to the decision of let's move to Canada and um, yeah, it was one of the best decisions I've made because I feel like Vancouver really gives you that vibe of a small town sometimes, but at the same time you have so many work possibilities and all the exciting, you know, possibilities that you can find in a huge city. So it's the perfect balance for me.
1: Nice. And so you came to Vancouver and did you come here with the mindset of continuing your film and uh, performance work?
2: I did. That was definitely like the dream because I, I, I I first got in touch with everything that happens here in Vancouver, like uh, film and TV wise. Uh, Back in 2017, I did a homework movie back in Mexico with Alexa Vega. And uh, I started talking to the actors and they they were telling me about, you know, like Vancouver being like North Hollywood and all the productions. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. And then a friend of mine moved here. She booked a lead on Black Summer. And I was like, okay, let's let's see if I can get a piece of that. So I decided to come and try my luck, and it's been good. I did a couple parts and uh, on The Flash, uh, Resident Alien. I'm gonna do a horror show in Toronto. Pretty exciting stuff.
1: Oh yeah, that does sound really exciting, and just just action packed. So you arrive here, you're doing work. How did you hear about this project? Like, wh- how did this get on your radar?
2: I first heard about this project through my acting teacher uh Rick Tay I was yeah I was just a regular day of classes and he um yeah he was like oh you you sing right you did musicals in Mexico I was like yeah and uh he told me about this project he was like okay it's very interesting I know the people who are doing it I really feel like you should um audition I can put in a good word for you <laughs> I was like oh that's so sweet so yeah I, I submitted and uh, yeah it was audition time cool vibe the, the idea sounded awesome and uh, yeah when I got my call back I was all happy and when when I booked the gig I was even happier and Rick was very happy as well
1: <laughs> thank you for still being part of it I'm very happy to have the opportunity to bring you back to host the podcast and still be part of the project. I have a question for you though. And I don't think I've asked this of Isa or of Mateos who were also guest hosts and and supposed to be in the cast with you. What was that audition process like? Maybe this is me asking for my own like vanity, but you know, I, there was a, a great call. So many performers I wanted to work with came out and I threw so much at you all. Can you do this while doing this? And then also traversing the space. What was, what was that like? coming, I mean, you know, not having ever met me or the work we do, uh, what was it like coming into our audition room?
2: Uh, that part was very interesting when you started throwing a lot of stuff at us while well, you go to an audition with already like an idea, your take on the scene. And then I honestly love it when the director just changes everything and starts throwing a whole bunch of stuff that you hadn't imagined at you. And um, so I I had a lot of fun with that. And it was, it was one of those auditions that to to me, doesn't happen very often because I'm very insecure, but it was one of those auditions that I left, you know, and I I felt good about it. I, um, I sang, um, what was it from Miss Haigon? uh i, I think we do it probably mm. and um that moment i felt very connected to the song i felt very there was a, a good vibe it's the vibe of the room totally affects our performance and i i i'm one of those people that sometimes i do thrive under pressure sometimes i don't sometimes it just closes my throat and it has happened before the day before an important audition like voice no voice um And it was not the case this time. It was just a chill vibe. And I just felt so freed to, you know, be myself.
1: Hmm. So you come in, you audition. And then I believe I was like, oh, I should tell you about the project. But of course there was the description you're reading what the description is. Yeah. And then, and then the subject of uh, seasonal agricultural workers. And when we told you these are verbatim works and songs, what was that like finding that out?
2: Oh, I just thought it was extremely interesting and unique. I had never heard anything like that before. To be honest, I didn't even know about that reality, you know. Well, first I had just gotten to Canada, and um, but still I, I feel like a lot of people that, that have been living here in Canada for all their lives are not aware of that, you know of the seasonal workers and, and, and their situations. And I just thought, wow. I mean, because as I, I'm also a writer, I produce a lot of my own projects, you know, I'm a singer. I produce my music videos. I always try to bring new stories to the table and everything. And uh, I was like, okay, here, there's a story that I had never heard before, you know, like in a world where everything has been done, just finding a story that, you know, people haven't told yet i don't I, i'm i don't know if people have told the story already but like at least like the people that i have talked to my friends you know that you know i've talked about uh, made in canada you know to them yeah everybody was like okay that's i had never heard that story before so that's um amazing whoever had the idea is a genius <laughs>
1: <laughs> well thank you you're very kind uh, there are,
2: are it's great because
1: on the podcast we've had the opportunity to speak with other artists uh, a few in alberta and i've heard of projects in in ontario so the artists are are out there and we're aware of it and we're starting to create work around it and that's exciting so you know you get cast in this show and we start heading towards production and that's always fun and exciting and all those things we did a photo shoot out in the field if you remember (laughs) which was really fun and then um you know COVID. But we managed to do a reading of the of the script, if you remember, for an event. And what was that like? Getting to finally read the script with the cast that was supposed to do the show.
2: I loved it. It was so. I mean, we we had. I, I already had the opportunity to you know meet them, like you said, for the photo shoot. Then I did my callback with some of them. We did some exercises like to connect with each other and everything um so yeah by by the time we we got to the reading I already felt pretty connected to to most of them and um it was just so nice to hear the whole thing put together the the jokes that you know like from from the my very first time that I read the script there were those lines that stood out to me and you know it was like okay here I can hear the public laughing or here I can hear some people like you know drop one tear and um so yeah just hearing the whole thing put together I feel I felt like the yeah the rhythm was there the connection was there everybody was you know really sounded like what the character was supposed to you know sound like. It was it was a perfect cast. I was like so excited uh, to be part of it.
1: Yeah, me too. Um, still saddens me, but hey, here we are doing this podcast, and we put out the album, and, and so that was very exciting. All right. So have you been aware of more about what's going on now that you've kind of introduced to a, a project that introduced you to this program?
2: 100%, yeah we are um i say we because it's a reality that i i have talked about with you know like my friends my partner um so yeah that definitely um changes the way that we we see things the way that we see the food that gets to our table you know mm-hmm. when you
1: you told us you were living in mexico for for a while, a long while. And yeah. while there, did you ever hear any word of this program or that people were coming to work in Canada as temporary workers?
2: No, not at all. Uh, not in Mexico, not in Brazil. I had I had no idea about that.
1: Hmm. And where in Mexico were you mostly situated?
2: Uh, Mexico City.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Larger urban center and so then when you found out what was happening on canadian farms through the script through maybe research you were doing before we went into rehearsal what were your thoughts as you started researching
2: well my, my thoughts were this is is something that people have to know and i'm so glad that you know somebody actually wants to tell this story i feel like it's it's we live in a society where it's so easy to just take everything for for granted you know like just you, like you know I'm, I'm gonna give an example of a recent change that I made in my life um, going from you know eating meat to vegetarian to vegan just uh, like five months ago and it was one of those things where you know like a a delicious burger on my plate, you don't really think about, you know, what's behind it, you know, like the, the animal suffering, it's destroying the planet, uh, all of those things that um, are behind just, you know, eating that meat that's in your plate. And just like, once you become aware of it, yeah, it's so easy to make that change. So I was, you know, so happy to, to hear that, okay, somebody wants to tell that story, because that's the first step for for people to want some change and and for um for them to have a better quality of life for them to have better conditions of work yeah it's just one of those things that like I've asked around nobody's aware of it so it's so important to have this in in a project and I hope it's the first of many
0: The lyrics for the song, Canadian Law, are taken directly from the Government of Canada's website. They are the words that are addressed to the seasonal agricultural worker regarding their rights. Canadian Laws protect every worker in Canada. This includes foreign workers like you. Your employer must pay you for your work, must make sure that your workplace is safe. They cannot, must not take your passport, nor take your work permit away. By now, if you've been listening to this podcast or reading about the program, you know there is a distance between the intention and the actuality of the Seasonal Agricultural Workers Program. These rights exist, in theory, but without the language or farm inspections or direct access to the people who can help, the workers cannot obtain these rights. And if they somehow manage to call for help, they are risking deportation as a repercussion. Information about the program has appeared in the media more often since COVID has shut us in and our food supply chains have become a source of anxiety. Mark Fawcett Atkinson is a journalist who has focused on food in his work with the National Observer. He told Pedro that he had as much trouble finding out things from the government as he did getting workers to trust him. In this interview, he refers to FOI, which stands for Freedom of Information Requests.
3: I've written about it, but many others have as well. Who've you know written about how the program comes together, and then there are you know several scholars who've also you know, have material out there that really explains kind of the ins and outs of how this works. Like you need to look for it, like you need to Google it, right? <laughs> but. Yeah, you know FOIFO would be more if you're looking at a specific case and or you know, specific a specific set of rules and things. For instance, the, like BC's decision to quarantine and workers in hotels when COVID hit. Like if you looked at wanted to find out the backstory of how that decision was made, like that would be a case where you use FOIA, right? Or why Ontario and Quebec didn't would probably be a more interesting one to understand. You know, why did government not make that decision? Because you know, obviously, you know, BC did it, so there, there must have been something. I would be surprised if there wasn't any um, discussion. Uh, but in terms of, like, understanding how the system works on its, you know, like, face value, and it's kind of more basic, I really, you know, a Google search could pull that out.
1: <laughs> awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's how I got interested in the subject. Yeah, exactly. And then then searched online. (laughs) Uh, And then started meeting people, of course. Uh, Another question is kind of loops back to your interest on, you know, food security. What kind of pushback have you had from the articles you've written? And then the, which kind of goes hand in hand, what has been the reception of the articles you've written? Pushback, honestly, I haven't really had any so far on do you mean on, on migrant workers specifically or more we're just reporting on these kind of larger issues that kind of affect they're tied together with migrant workers you know we're reporting on farming and sustainability environmentalism we have to rethink how we're looking at these things in order to change things and so just looking at what the reception has been that maybe of your articles honestly i haven't had a ton of blowback
3: some articles have and i Frankly, I attribute that to being a white guy. From my Twitter feed, I I know that female colleagues get way more flack statistically than I do. Um, Honestly, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat stunned I don't get more, (laughs) but it's not, it's not a fair distribution of getting attacked. And occasionally people will, you know, get in touch with comments. Clarifications. Sometimes, especially when I'm doing daily stuff, I'll mess something up, or I'll, you know, I don't frame it quite the right way, so I'll need to put in clarifications. But that's only happened once or twice. In terms of more positive responses, honestly, I've probably gotten more of those at this point. You know, people kind of reach out, and just sending, yeah, sending often quite thoughtful. Know, either commentary or often ideas for future stories or you know reaching out to say hey I exist <laughs> um, if you're doing future stories on this topic feel free to reach out or you know I'm happy to connect you with other people yeah sounds good so, I don't know it hasn't been it hasn't been particularly overwhelming in either direction which I'm grateful for <laughs>
1: What, what is it that you hope comes out of these articles that you write?
3: Overwhelmingly, I'd say it's an awareness. It's an awareness for people of how how their food gets from farm to the plate, and also how how food is a lens through which to kind of look at inequality at a societal level. And I, you know, I think it's also really highlighting how complex and, you know, in some ways vulnerable, you know, our, our, our food supply chain is. But really, I think it's more kind of looking at how, yeah, how how food can be a reflection of other, you know, larger societal issues and Economic inequality and structural injustices are probably one of the bigger ones. You know, food on your plate isn't just food. it's It's got a whole back story <laughs> to it. And, you know, it's kind of, it, it is representative of, not just representative, you know, it, 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 it builds and kind of supports larger structures that and and they you know they I don't want to kind of go all out and say we should all go back to you know eating only food we can grow in our gardens because that's not going to happen right and I don't think it's necessarily you know I don't, I don't think that's that's the way to, to go either necessarily you know trade for all you know its flaws that maintaining those links you know does also have positive values so, you know there's people have cultural needs they have you know preferences they have you know desires. You know, I don't think you want to stifle all of that. But I do think, it, it, you know, you want to be aware of who's benefiting and who's not in that process. Um, and like even, you know, with temporary, you know, temporary work for workers, migrant workers, the way that the structure is built is exploitative at the policy end. But often, you know, for workers, it is, uh, you know, it, it pays way more than what you'd be getting at home. And you know it, it remains important employment, right? That's not to say that the system doesn't the system obviously needs needs change, but just the wholesale kind of jumping back to oh well, we shall grow food in our backyard might not be that. at this point, anyways, isn't, you know, really realistic or necessarily advantageous. I don't know. Maybe the short answer is, it's complicated, and you need to think about it.
0: (laughs) Pedro had a conversation with filmmaker Min-Suk Lee earlier this year. Last week, we shared some of Min's struggles with getting interviews for her first film on the subject, El Contrato. It turns out that making the film was only the beginning of her difficulties.
4: That was my first documentary. I had never made a documentary before that. And you have to think like, I'm this kind of strident activist thinking, once I make this film and release it, I'm gonna change the world. (laughs) I was a lot younger then, right? Yeah. And so when it was done, I was so convinced that this film was going to, you know, make people see the error of their ways. I actually sent it to the employers. I said, here you go. Here's this film. I want you to see it, right? And they went out and decided to sue me.
1: No way.
4: <laughs> so they, they threatened me with libel and um, issued libel notices to me national film board and also to anyone who would screen a contrato. So it was embargoed for a full year while the employers lawyers used the legal means and it was a slap suit Mm -hmm. to essentially muzzle dissent and critique and to censor the film to, to to bury the film. And I remember that for the entire year the film was embargoed I ended up working in a bar, doing another job, thinking, did I ever even make that film? Because I could never see it, no one had seen it. And feeling very badly, like I had done something wrong and thinking that I had had no plan B. You know, you do something and you're like, I'm just gonna, this is it, you throw yourself into it. Some smart people might think, well, what's plan B? You're making this doc now, but how are you gonna, what what are you gonna do when it's over? So I had had none. And in that sort of moment of feeling pretty down i went back to leamington with evelyn who's one of the organizers of justice for migrant workers and we kind of snuck it back in because the film was controversial when it was first you know released and we were trying to get it out the mayor of leamington was on cbc calling me a liar saying the workers were paid actors or things had been manufactured there were certain academics and Canadian universities who also insinuated in classrooms that the film was contrived. The National Film Board uh, said to me, well, why don't you just reshoot a bunch of scenes and we can avoid any legal consequences? And I wouldn't do that. So the film just kind of sat there. So that was kind of like, not a great time. And I went back to Leamington with Evelyn and we were in the church again in that church basement and there were workers in the basement meeting with justice for migrant worker activists and they're you know, organizing talking about worker rights and one of the workers recognized me and i had thought to go incognito kind of wear a hat and be sort of on the side mm-hmm. and it was weird to go back because i had spent almost a year and a half there i had lived there for a whole summer no, always the camera attached to me. So it's, now I'm like incognito. No one's seen the film. And he, one of the workers saw me. Came up to me, and he said, "You made El Contrato. I want to thank you." And I was like, "Oh, that's great! How do you how do you even know? How did how would you know?" And then he pulled out a, a like a DVD, and he said, "I have a copy. It's pirated." <laughs> Amazing. I like, that's <laughs> so I found out that some people had gotten. Pirated copies of the film, and they were copying it and selling it in the tiendas, the little side stores in Leamington, where the migrant workers were getting their food and stuff like that. And you know, workers were passing it and sharing it with each other, you know, in bunkers. And it just taught me a really important lesson about making art for social change: is that you have to think about your audience, and you have to think about what are people going to do with it. So the employers wanted to suppress it and shut the film down. So they used all the institutional legal powers that they had at their disposal, their fancy lawyers, whatever. And so they they were able to do it from the top, but resistance and organizing comes from the bottom, from the grassroots, and it's really fertile. And you're not going to be able to stop that once people start organizing. And that's when I started realizing that people will resist. And you know that phrase, they tried to bury us, but they didn't know we were seeds.
1: Right, yeah, yeah.
4: Right, yeah. that saying, which is about the, the, the potency and the fertility of uh, resistance and organizing. You know, being, seeing that happen and seeing how people will make use of art because it actually has some utility mm-hmm. to their lives was really powerful to me. So one of the things I thought about was was a big takeaway is that you're gonna make art for social change, make sure that that art gets into the hands of people who know what to do with it. Right. So let's say it had had the screening, because I was dreaming of festival screenings and premieres, (laughs) because at that time, that's what I thought change happened through that kind of circuit. So you get a bunch of festival premieres and red carpet screenings. Well, what are those people gonna do with that film? They're going to go home and talk about it maybe the next day with their friends. They're going to feel a little bit more informed, more educated, maybe guilty. Maybe they're going to do a little bit of different kind of shopping, different consumer choices. But really, what kind of material transformational structural change will come out of dozens of festival, documentary festival premieres compared to people who, can, who know what to do with that film?
0: We will hear more words from Min Suk Lee on our last episode next week. Now, though, it's time to hear from Pedro and composer Michelle Cutler about the song Canadian Law.
1: Welcome once again, for the second to last time, Michelle Cutler Hello. here to talk at you, talk with you, be with you, <laughs> to talk to really you. We're loosening up here. Yeah, we're like nine episodes <laughs> in and now it's like, oh yeah, let's break that tequila out. Let's have some drinks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, and here to talk about Canadian law. Uh
5: yeah, this song
1: that you said was boring to me. It this is the one boring. that specifically lyrically, like, <laughs> these words are boring. <laughs> 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 they
5: are boring. These lyrics were in the script, right? for for a long time, they've been in there. Yeah, for this a long is time. the first thing
1: I wrote, actually. Mm. Yeah, first song I wrote, top of the top of the show. This used to be the first song I think after mm. the program. I think the program I didn't write it first. I just like wanted to know what the law was, and I grabbed some some law text around the program, uh, the seasonal agricultural worker program, and working migrant workers, and yeah, yeah, had not been touched, had been moved around, not even addressed. I think yeah, like you, I don't even remember you talking about no, this over I the like, four years. was like I'm not
5: going to deal with this now. Like <laughs> I was waiting until we, I absolutely had to to deal with it. Yeah. But uh, when so this again was like newly written by me in terms of the music. Uh, this year and I was listening to I don't remember what the song was but I was listening to some music that was a little more like lush and fully orchestrated in terms of some mariachi options so like songs with like a lot of trumpet a lot of violin like a lot of drama and I was thinking that compared to the songs that are from the point of view of the workers that are a little more in my mind stripped down and, and a little more earthy that stuff that's from the perspective of the government would be flashier and have just more going on and so this one I would say this and Synergy are like sort of sisters or whatever like they're they're similar they're from the similar perspective and it is again trying to sell you something even though it's just kind of saying the the legal text and so once I thought of that then I was like okay fine I can like that was kind of my way into this song is making something with like yeah like lots of big flourishy fills Lots of the stops and the starts. I don't know where that came from, honestly. I think it, it I, I don't know. Like it was, it's partly a stylistic thing and partly just a thing that happened. And so I'm like, oh my God, every two measures we're like stopping and having a <laughs> little fill and then it starts again. But um, the la la las, I think, I don't know. I just, once I wrote those, I was like, okay, like we're, we're figuring it out how to make it fun. Yeah. And when I just made out sing Canadian la, like I don't know.
1: This was one I think from the beginning of rehearsal really like found its groove in people becoming more comfortable with it. And then being once we started talking about like what the perspective of this is coming from the Canadian government after, as you'll hear on the album, coming out of a special report where we hear about these people being taken away. You hear about all the headline news, all of. When we are talking about this with the band, too, about the structure of where Canadian law sits, after hearing all of the garbage that has gone on for these workers, all of the shit, all of this un, injustice, and then you hear this message from the Canadian government being about protections and being about being there for them, and that this, you know, there are all these things that it. Once we kind of realized, oh, yeah, that's what this song is, that then Alan, like, you know, starts shaking his hips more and dancing Yeah, you around. should have seen
5: him in rehearsal. Oh,
1: yeah. And then, like, you know, Barry bringing in that shaker. and Yeah. Um, it just, it we found what that angle of this song was, which then just, we found the song.
5: Yeah, yeah. No, this one, it's like, and, and this is the one that Pedro's like, this should be Alan. You sort of said it pretty early. Yeah. So there's something, there's something about, it. again, it's like trying to sell you on something. It's a little bit false, but it's also really fun. Like it's, I don't know. Yeah. I wanted to like add lots of, lots of opportunities for him to sing high notes and for the violins and trumpets to do lots of fun things and to have like a really dancey kind of groove. And then again, it was like just the little perfect little thing was having the the folks in the room. And then the <laughs> translations that happen at the end. Uh, which was your idea, I think.
1: Uh, I think it just started happening. I think the singers started doing that.
5: Right, yeah. And I think
1: they that was like AJ and um, Alexandra and Christine just started adding, chirping yeah. in. And, um, and we were like, keep it. Like, yeah, that's it. And then we got to the recording part and we got to like the incredibly fast part where Alexander speaks and... <laughs> you're about to hear this song. When Alexander speaks one of these really incredibly fast lines, we did not alter her speed at all. That is,
5: that's just how fast she talks. <laughs>
1: it's incredible. And Tom, our engineer at Monarch studios was just loving it because he could not believe how fast. Uh, yeah. Yeah. How yeah. fast Alexander is in this section.
5: It's really, it's really something to behold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Like I, I don't think there's too much to say other than it's a bop, but also like a little bit creepy i guess
1: yeah i think it, it really is we made jokes about it being like justin trudeau or maybe when you're listening to this we have a different prime minister <laughs> god forbid Aaron o'toole <laughs> <laughs> but like you know it's that it's this leadership of a government that is singing false promises to people
5: yeah so enjoy
1: Or not Maybe this will just Make you grit your teeth To the hypocrisy No, Alan's voice is too Too smooth and buttery
5: You'll enjoy it (laughs) Yeah
1: Alright, so Canadian law
6: Canadian law protects Every person in Canada This includes Foreign workers like you Your employers must pay you for your work Make sure your workplace is safe has an office to deal with labour and employment law Every person in Canada. Cada persona. This includes foreign workers like you. Your employers must pay you for your work. Make sure you.
0: Thank you so much for listening, my friends. It's an honor to be part of this project and to help spread the word about the hardships of my fellow emigrants. Next week, Pedro is going to help us move from knowing about the program to doing something with that knowledge. In the meantime, take care.
4: You're completing a sentence. You are addressing migrant worker rights and making connections between migrant justice and colonization and racism.
0: Made in Canada, an agricultural podcast, was written by Pedro Chamale and narrated by me, Rodrigo Massa. It is edited and co-produced by Kathleen Flaherty and is produced by Derek Chan and Howard Dye of Rice and Bing's Theatre. Spanish translation by our Spanish dramaturg Daniela Tiencia. Thanks to Playwrights Theatre Center and to today's guests, Mark Fawcett-Atkinson, Min Suk Lee, and Michelle Cutler. Our interview with Minsuk Lee was recorded as part of Unscripted, produced by Playwrights Theatre Center. Thank you to all the funders and donors who made the song Cycle possible the Canada Council for the Arts, the BC Arts Council, the province of British Columbia, and the city of Vancouver. You can find out more about the podcast and Made in Canada and Agricultural Song Cycle or support us and purchase the album at micsongcycle.ca. That's micsongcycle.ca. Also, if you're enjoying this podcast, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.